Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Friday, June 4th. I'm Nyla Boudin. Here's how we're making you smarter today. What to expect from the housing market. Plus, how pandemic gaming is changing the media landscape. But first, today's one big thing. The U.S. pivot from hoarding to sharing vaccines. It's Friday, and we're doing a global edition of our politics roundup with our world editor, Dave Lawler. Hi, Dave. Hi, Nyla. Let's start with yesterday's big news. The U.S. is finally detailing how it plans to provide 80 million vaccines to the world. How are we going to do this? So I've been waiting for this news for a long time. I've asked the White House about this. Finally, they've said 75% of the first round of of vaccines that we share will go through this global COVAX initiative that's backed by the World Health Organization. And it's basically intended to ensure that every low and middle income country gets some vaccines. 75% will run through that system. And then 25% will be us just surging it where we think it's needed. Some of that will go to our neighbors, Mexico and Canada. Some will go to allies like South Korea. And then some will go to uh, poor countries that are really in need of of vaccines now. Let's go to a story that our listeners might have missed this week, which is the Israeli government earlier in the week asking the U.S. for a billion dollars, one billion dollars to replenish defense spending used during the recent war with Hamas. Where does the Biden administration and where's Congress stand on this? So we'll have to find out soon from the Biden administration. There were meetings yesterday in Washington between the Israeli defense minister and the U.S. national security advisor and defense secretary uh, in which this $1 billion request was expected to come up. We have heard already from members of Congress, some particularly Republican members have been quite vocally backing this request from Israel, saying the U.S. should stand with our allies who came under attack. But we can expect to hear from some progressive Democrats who are much more skeptical of sending additional weaponry to Israel, particularly after uh, the quite high civilian death toll in Gaza in the most recent round of fighting. Uh, So this will be a controversial request, uh, but it is something that the Biden administration will now have to weigh in on. Dave, let's end by looking ahead. President Biden's first trip abroad is next week, beginning with the G7, a few things after that. What do we need to know about his travels? So Biden is heading to Europe. He's starting with allies. He's meeting first with the G7. He's heading to NATO. We can expect things like climate change, vaccine sharing to be on the agenda in those meetings. It also sets the table for his last meeting, which is with Vladimir Putin in Geneva. I think we can expect that to be a much more contentious meeting than the meetings with the allies earlier in this trip. Axios' world editor, Dave Lawler. Have a great weekend, Dave. You too, Nala. In 15 seconds, Felix Salmon on foreclosures in the housing market. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. A federal ban on foreclosures and evictions that's been in place for more than a year lifts on June 30th. This could affect millions. Axios' chief financial correspondent, Felix Salmon, is here to answer what comes next for those people and the housing market. Hey, Felix. Good morning, Nyla. First, Felix, should we expect a surge in foreclosures and evictions this July? No, especially not foreclosures. The ban on foreclosures, you're absolutely right, does come to an end at the end of this month. But when one ban closes, another ban opens, as I think someone once said. Basically, the federal ban is ending, but a new federal ban from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is very likely to come in play As of August, there's a lot of arm twisting of services. No one's going to be suddenly evicting people in July and August. The banks, they're not 
in the business of trying to piss off the regulators and there is basically no chance of any significant increase in foreclosures for the rest of this year. And Felix, for many people, because of the extended circumstances of the pandemic, they were able to work out, for example, deals with their mortgage companies to not pay. So there's this thing called forbearance. And at the height of the pandemic, about four and a half million people had worked out forbearance deals with their lenders. Most of those people are now, they've worked it out. They've um, they've paid back the money. They're back paying the mortgage again. We're down to about just over two million people still in forbearance. There's still a lot of people, but, you know, they have deals with their services. They're not in a hugely antagonistic relationship. And everyone expects them to be able to work it out because here's the thing. Unlike the financial crisis of 2009, these people have positive equity in their homes. Even after you take into account all of the back payments they they might not have been able to make over the course of the pandemic and all of the taxes and insurance payments and stuff that they also owe, their homes have gone up so much, especially over the past year, that they have positive equity in their homes, the vast majority of them. And that means that gives them a huge amount of freedom in terms of being able to get out of this without pain. Right. So not a repeat of the Great Recession. There's hardly any people underwater. To your point of the housing market being on fire, there's no concerns that foreclosures might be a drag on that? Well, there's no concerns that there's going to be any foreclosures at all, really, this year. They're saying that, you know, come 2022, the foreclosures might start. The number of foreclosures in 2022, one source told me, is going to be about 85% of what we saw in 2019, pre-pandemic. And that was a very low number. Access is Felix Salmon. Thank you, Felix. Thank you. We all know that Netflix saved many during the pandemic. But what about video gaming? In the last few years, revenue from video gaming has increased by more than 100 percent. Axios Media reporter Sarah Fisher is here to tell us how media and entertainment industries are preparing for the next post-pandemic chapters. What are the latest numbers telling us about what's doing well in the pandemic and post-pandemic? Yeah, well, video games is just exploding, both on mobile and PCs, especially cloud gaming. So that's sort of gaming that you have a subscription service to, and you can access it across multiple devices. That's really the future. And then, of course, it should be no surprise to anybody, video streaming, subscription streaming, ad-supported, all of it is doing incredibly well. How is the industry responding to this? Are they expecting that as people start to go out more that we will adapt and do these things less? No, I think that they think that we're going to double down on them. I think they think the pandemic has permanently shifted our likeness towards these types of mediums. And as a result, I think a lot of media companies are starting to invest more in this type of content and in these types of experiences. How do all the recent media mergers reflect this reality, Sarah? Well, in order to be competitive, especially in in something like streaming, you need to have scale. And so part of the reason you're seeing so many mergers is because people are consolidating their assets to have enough content to fill streaming libraries. Axios' Sarah Fisher writes our Media Trends newsletter, and you can also check out our new gaming newsletter. You can find it all at the Axios app. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you, Nyla. 
Before we go, one of the biggest questions I get from listeners is how much time does it take to produce a 10-minute podcast? The answer is it takes us all day. And here's one of our favorite behind-the-scenes moments from this week. It came when I was talking to Axios Editor-in-Chief Nick Johnston about his recent trip to Europe and what it was like to navigate traveling right now. Finding a restaurant he was allowed to eat in the first day was rough. So I eventually just gave up and ordered from a kiosk at a McDonald's. And then the number popped up and they handed me my bag and I went out inside and ate French fries in a park. That sounds a little sad. <laughs> We've all been there I'm eating. You sound like a very awesome worldly traveler. The glamorous life of Axios' editor-in-chief. And that's it for us this week. Axios Today is brought to you by Axios and Pushkin Industries. We're produced by Alexandra Boti, Nuria Marquez-Martinez, Sabina Singani, Naomi Shaven, and Amy Padula. Our sound engineers are Alex Sugiyara and Michael Hampf. Dan Bobkoff is our executive producer. Sarah Kehlani Gu is our executive editor. And special thanks to Axios co-founder Mike Allen. At Pushkin, our executive producers are Lital Malad and Jacob Weisberg. You can always leave us feedback. You can email us at podcasts at axios.com. And we always appreciate starred reviews on Apple. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Have a great weekend. 